Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 27, 28, and 29 of The Eye of the World, Shelter from the Storm, Footprints in Air, and Eyes Without Pity. Enjoy. All right, welcome to episode 14. Um, before we get started with uh, moving on to this episode, just wanted to do a quick couple of shout outs. Uh, one, just really happy with uh, the, the amount of listeners we have. Um, our listenership is going up every single week, and that definitely is making me happy. Keep sharing us. I know a couple of our uh, Discord um, and, and Patreons are sharing us uh, across different social media platforms. Keep that up. Share us with the new readers, especially. We love them because we have new readers with us. Um, Ian and Chris would love to have conversations more with people that are at least finding the books for the first time, too. Also, want to just let you guys know, um, of course, if you've been listening to us now for now 14 episodes, um, this is actually when we added ads. So just this week, we started doing ads on our episodes. That's new to us. Um, but... They go all the way back to the very first episode. So if you're just starting with us now, you'll hear ads. Um, they're at the beginning of the episode, so it kind of seems weird. I'm going to try to work on that and see if I can figure out how to make that different because it just starts out with an ad. Uh, I mean, I'll try to change it or something, but whatever. Um, it's paying more money towards, towards us to go towards things like giveaways and things like that. And speaking of money towards us for giveaways and better equipment, we did get a new Patreon. Um, they asked to be anonymous um, and not not have their name read out on our on our. Uh, on our podcast but just wanted to uh, still give a shout out anonymously to a new patreon that we do have (laughs) yeah um so that's uh pretty much it for the shout outs and things going on there uh kind of moving on to personal life uh i had my birthday last week which was fun yay um so being in quarantine, having a birthday is definitely interesting. I feel bad for everyone that's younger, has kids during this time. It's just tough. Um, I got a new client that actually, uh, she's a wedding photographer. Like, what do you do now? Um, it's, yeah, it's it's tough out there for everybody. But yeah, still in quarantine. So I think it's going to be every week for the next couple of months. So we'll keep talking about it. But anything new in you guys' personal life? Yeah, I uh, had a couple of private messages with some folks, and and Alan, I think you messaged it or messaged messaged it to some folks the other night. 
So um, my my dad would kill me if I said this, but since he will never listen to this, I have no worries, and I doubt y'all will run into him. Uh, he's been quarantining like a boss. Him and his wife are full-on retired and have been for a while, and he lives in a rural area. And we had a bit of a scare the other night. Uh, he was actually four-wheeling with a couple of the neighbors, of course, more than six feet apart. Um, and he was, uh, he lives along the river there and there's a couple of creeks, uh, that the, there's an adult trail that the adults go on. And then there's an area just for the kids when they go out. And I know exactly where he was at when he told me what happened, but there's an area where there's a couple of big ruts and, uh, uh, it was probably like 11 o'clock at night. Is that Friday night? Maybe Saturday night. Uh, I don't know, but caught one of the ruts rolled over and I've rolled the ATV many times and somehow walked away without a scratch. He rolled an ATV, went down the bank, ended up with the ATV on him, uh, broke his clavicle, multiple ribs, punctured a lung, uh, and he's 62. So he'll he'll be fine. Oh my God. Um, he's going to recover. But uh, all that being said, he's going to be in a lot of pain for a while. So he is, um, you know, don't be too upset. He is daddy Matt. Um, he's more of a wild one than I ever was. I don't think I could ever fill his shoes, so he'll recover for sure. But that was, so that kind of slowed me down even in preparing for this. Like I did my reading today. Uh, and normally I, I have a lot of days where I get ready for that. And that's why I kind of tapped out of some of the evening conversations. But anyway, so even in the quarantining world, we all need to be careful because life can still throw curveballs at you. And I guess the worst part of it is obviously can't go visit him in the hospital. No visitors allowed. And all that jazz so we're just doing prayers from a distance and we'll bring them home soon that's tough yeah it, it happens sometimes yeah really when, i mean when, when you when you live life like this sometimes you know you hit a little speed bump and a rut in the road and it'll be good though sure. He's a survivor. uh well me personally i am just continuously enjoying the working digitally which is what i already do um they, Okay. Anyway, working digitally, but in the same sense, just like not having the interactions that I would have with people, I'm definitely an extrovert. So not getting to hang out when I want to hang out is definitely killing me. Um, I miss board games. I miss going out to eat. Um, missing hanging out with people in general is really nice going over and uh, celebrating Alan's <laughs> birthday with him uh, and chatting with you guys, you know, for the first time longer than like 20 minutes. Cause that's how Chris is. Um, but yeah, it was really good. I have definitely learned to enjoy the park and cardio uh, and I'm learning disc golf, believe it or not. So I love disc golf. Interesting. I love yes. it. Yes. Ian and I are average <laughs> disc golf players because you didn't know. So like I actually do the, um, the the tomahawk is my favorite way of throwing the. Yeah, disc it, it, it's a good, it's a good it, strategy. Um, yeah, so depends it, on the situation. It, it, <laughs> the technical term is it's a thumber if you have it turn where your thumb is on the inside of the frisbee, uh, and it's a hammer if and your uh, pointing finger and middle finger are on the inside of the frisbee. So not necessarily tomahawk. It's the, I'm throwing with the, the hammer. hammer. Yep, that's the hammer throw. Yeah, and then and then I, I personally like the the outside sidearm flick. Um, it's my it's my my favorite. But yeah, so yeah. And, yeah, then, and then there's the then, then there's the shocker. 
You have your, your hammer, your thumber, and then the shocker. <laughs> and now uh, we're making stuff up. <laughs> are, are we? Uh, yeah. No good wink. No wink. Yeah, there you go. So um, before we move on to predictions, it is my week to do a country or state uh, ask for listeners. I'm going to go back to Africa. We do have African listeners. So I'm going to do South Africa because um, we don't have any South African yeah. listeners yet. And yeah, they're, they're, they speak English there. So that might be able to – actually, most of Africa actually does speak pretty good English. but um, Especially the southern portions for sure. Probably, be- probably better than I do because I don't – don't really uh, speak English well at all. <laughs> I don't speak any language well at all. So yeah, so um, yeah, so uh, South Africa. Uh, we'll, we'll get some listeners from there, hopefully. And then moving on to predictions. So one prediction from last week is that Rand is Aiel or partially Aiel. Bill Doman is a dark friend. Tom is a dark friend. Uh, Gelb is a dark friend. Alan is a dark friend. Um, so pretty much they think everyone's dark friends. So I came to the conclusion that Ian and Chris are white cloaks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Matt is becoming more deaf. That was something Chris said as well. So, uh, those yeah, are I some like of that the one I co-signed yeah, on that uh, quick. That was pretty good. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah, so those are kind of our predictions from last week. Of course, we have many more predictions from previous weeks that I'm not going to get to because it'd probably be a whole episode just about predictions. So um, uh, with that being said, if there's nothing else, I'd just like to move right on to the chapter because we have three chapters covered tonight um, and probably a lot to talk about. So moving right on to chapter 27, Shelter from the Storm. So we got a symbol of that leaf thing again. Any thoughts? I think, you know, originally it was the wisdom, then it showed up again with, I think, a uh, Egwene chapter. So we're like, okay, it's not naive, but yeah, man, I skipped right over this this time in reading. Uh, I mean, I, I guess if I'm tying it to my earlier thoughts, um, it would be tied to Egwene and that she's part of it. Um, and like I said before, there's three of these leaves on the vine with three leaves on each, or three sections to each leaf. So maybe it's Egwene, um, uh, Nynaeve, and the third one being perhaps Moraine or someone else. So I guess that still kind of goes with what I was thinking earlier. It could be just talking about Egwene in this part. Um, so for me, I, I kind of started tying it in more or less to peace or peaceful times um, because we see that they're still um, in this particular episode with the Tinkers and they're essentially at peace. Um, you know, it really is one of those things. I never thought the symbols would have a huge meaning, but as we continue to read, they tend to shift and we can't really tie it to one, all of them to an individual person. Yeah. yeah. Truth. And since, you know, the tinkers are the, the peaceful people, the way the leaf kind of works. So Sure. Yeah. So it could be something to do with the, the way the leaf or the, Tinker simple. So, so yeah, so moving right into the chapter, uh, you know, parents upset if that's how it's starting at the pace they're traveling. He thinks they're, they're going too slow. Um, um, he's thinking about Elias a whole lot and just everything about what they said. And um, he's worried about the trolls catching up. So, you know, we start with kind of this internal, I guess, dialogue or, or I don't know if you want to call it that, but just thought process with parent. Um, Kind of start there. See what you guys think. So 
Well, I was going to save this for later, but I, I guess, I guess in the beginning, now, now's the time. I mean, it's as good as any. So I had a lot of difficulty with this chapter. And I thought about how I would broach the subject uh, because I don't know if all of our listeners would really appreciate it. And I guess I have some bias and, and I'll, I'll say right off the bat, like it's from a uh, having been in the military and still in the military standpoint, but specifically having deployed a couple of times and been in some really shitty parts of the world and then coming back home where it's relatively peaceful compared to geez, anywhere else you could possibly be. Uh, and then just thoughts of, uh, I mean, you guys have all heard the story by now of like the uh, the sheep and the wolf and the sheepdog and which type of person are you. And the, there's difficulty in being, even for a small portion of your life, being trained to be that sheepdog or being in a situation where you you see the real threat, you know the real evil, like you know it exists. And then trying to reintegrate with people that are just either oblivious to that or don't care. Uh, and Perrin struggles with that early on. Like, I, I don't know. I, I found myself rereading um, or having to reread a lot of these paragraphs and pages because my mind would just go off on these tangents. Like, I, I kind of felt his struggle. I know he's young. But him constantly thinking, you know, what if the fates find us? And then the guilt he was feeling like, all right, what if these people get attacked when I'm with him? Like he would feel responsible. Like he doesn't really like them, but he still feels obligated to protect them from the danger that he's bringing with them. Um, so I don't know. I thought about this and uh, obviously I didn't come up with a really good way to express it. But if we have any folks that are listening to this, that are either uh, war buffs in studying history uh, or veterans themselves and want to have further conversation on this chapter. And maybe you can let me know if it hit you the way the, the same way it hit me, but we can, uh, we could probably do a chat in discord or something like that and go a little bit further down the rabbit hole. But anyways, take it away, Chris. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you on that. Um, I, Perrin definitely does have this issue with a wanting to get where he wants to go. And that's just inherent selfishness, essentially. Like, I would like to speed up this voyage. That way we can get to where we have to go. That way I can get back to some sort of normalcy. Um, and with the current situation that the world is in right now, I, I kind of feel that when it comes to, and it's a stretch with the COVID virus, like, I just wish it would hurry up and end. And I know that sounds horrible because the end means the little end for so many people and I could be one of those you just never know but I would like to see some sense of normalcy return to my world and I feel like Perrin has that same thought like if I can just get to Tarvalon and I can get back to um, my crew we can get this over with and we can go back to our home but then you've got people just in direct contradiction of that thought and it just continues to frustrate them you have the um, the tinkering people, the traveling people, essentially just saying, hey, would you really make the horses work so hard? Like, is it really so important that we speed up? What's the hurry? And you have Elias, who they said, moved with the lazy grace of a wolf, only emphasized by his skins and his fur hat. 
radiating dangerously as naturally as the fire radiated heat uh, and the contrast of the traveling people. So he, his body language essentially contradicts the people in, in its, um, excuse me, it, his body language actually is the same as the people's. He's just kind of lazing about going throughout the day, but then his image is a direct contradiction to what the people are. So I know that's frustrating parent because he's like, I can tell you want to be done with this just as much as I do because these people do not share your nature. But here you are just kind of slothfully going through this travel when we need to hurry ourselves along. And he, he being parents, seems very uncomfortable with how joyful and merry these people are when literally there's so much danger around them. Um, but Elias puts it a very good way. He said, you had hard days before you met me and you'll have harder still ahead with Trollocs and Halfmen after you and Aes Sedai for friends. So he's really kind of trying to bring Perrin down to earth and say, look, enjoy the time that you have to relax because eventually shit's going to hit the fan. Yeah, and right? maybe maybe down the road, Elias turns into another dark friend since that's what we end up calling everybody eventually. But uh, <laughs> I still, <laughs> yeah, so I still have... I still have good feels for him. And uh, and again, from my perspective, the way I'm reading this, it's like you have Perrin who just barely had a taste of the Trollocs, just barely had a taste of conflict. So he sees it and he knows it's real and he has these dreams. He knows it's real. But then you have Elias and we have hints of his past. And he's like this old crusty sergeant major who's kind of been there, done that. Like he's seen the worst of it. And he knows right now is an opportunity uh, for them to rest and find comfort in the company they're in. And and I'll get into that more on what my theories are there. But, um, you know, w- one of our Discord folks mentioned we should we should try and find lines that really stand out for us. And this chapter, there's a couple, but one of them was Elias when he said, relax, lad, take life as it comes, run when you have to, fight when you must, rest when you can. And he says it with such. You stole my thunder. Uh, it's, I know. I love that line. Like I, I got stuck on it a while, but he says it with with such certainty. Uh, Elias knows that now is a time for rest. That your guard can be let down. So there's something about his relationship and understanding of these people that they're traveling with. Like he just he knows they're okay right now. So take take full advantage of it. And the whole time, like in my mind, I'm screaming at Perrin, uh, like he can hear me. Uh, do you just need to listen to him like he's right like shit is going to hit the fan so you need to trust this guy chillax eat some pie have a good time it's about to get real yeah <laughs> yeah and parents giving Elias a hard time and asking him you know like what's the, why are we going so slow you know and, and Elias tells him something's telling him to wait so I had a question like do you guys have a clue of what that something is or have thoughts about that you know because he has this I guess kind of like a gut feeling is what I kind of, I interpret it, but see if you guys have any thoughts. Well, we have had this conversation about a magic older than what we've currently been discussing older than the, the, the one power and everything. So I, there's just either it's just nature like in and of itself that can speak to him or whether or not he can actually channel and he doesn't know it. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I just, sometimes you do just have those moments where you just know that something's not right. 
but it's further into the chapter that really catches me and makes me think there is another force pulling on the people of this world um, because we get to rain and they kind of have the same interaction, him and Elias. They both kind of, and again, I'm going further in, but they both feel this draw. They both feel this pull. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, we have to split ways. Right. Yeah. So, so that's what I was holding off you know, on. You're not wanting to give too much away. Yeah, that's what I was holding off on, but I, I don't think we can with the question you asked, right? So um, I think Elias obviously knows the direction ultimately he wants to go with them, and Perrin knows where he wants to go. They all agreed before meeting these folks that that's where they were going to go. I feel like Elias knows as long as he's with uh, – the. Alan, tell me what the name of these people are again, because I'll butcher it. You can call them Tinkers, Traveling People, or Tuathathon. Tuathathon. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm not doing that one. We're going to say Tinkers. So tinkers, it's yeah. like he, <laughs> yeah, he knows that as long as they're with the Tinkers, they're safe. And like I was getting this feeling as I was reading, but then, like you said, Chris, jumping ahead, that, that morning after Perrin's dream, when they wake up and Elias already knows, all right, we got to go different directions. And um, the the what's his name? The gentleman from the Tinkers. I keep rain? thinking Rand, but it, yeah, right. rain, rain. rain, yeah, like it rains. So uh, he gets up, and it's almost like he looks around and gets a feeling like vibes on the wind, whatever it is, and he's like, "Oh, we have to change direction." And so then I start thinking all right, maybe these people aren't just these total like hippie pacifists that are just going anywhere. Maybe they have as part of this uh, following the leaf or smoking the leaf or whatever it is they do with the leaf. Um, <laughs> they have the ability to scent and avoid danger and avoid this evil, right? So it's almost like Elias knows, hey, as long as we're with them, you can let your guard down. Because nothing's going to happen. Because the way they travel, the places they're in, they're not going to get attacked. They have this extra sense about the presence of evil, and, and they just avoid it. Um, which kind of gives me like <laughs> the the uh, what's that old game? The um, oh shoot, is it like the caterpillar game where you're like you're moving around the screen, you have to avoid your own tail, but eventually your tail gets so big that you can't snake. avoid it. Snake, yeah, snake. snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a snake thing. Snake. The way this wheel of time is closing in on them, like the evil or the presence of it is growing. So for so long, hmm. they've been traveling around and able to dodge evil and no big deal. They can live this peaceful life because they've been able to avoid the evil so much. Uh, but the way the world is kind of closing in on them, I, I kind of see a future of them chasing their own tail, eventually crashing into it or potentially crashing into it. Right. And I swear, I swear I don't do drugs. That just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so, uh, you know, moving on from, from this whole scene, you know, Gwen, you know, at nights they're doing this, the, you know, they're dancing and their songs going on. It's been three days or I don't know how many days they've been traveling. I think it says three, but there's, they've been traveling for a while. And, and um, you know, Egwene's, Egwene is uh, enjoying herself and, and uh, you know, they're playing songs every night and they have songs of different names. So that made me just think of like just different different songs like that we have and it doesn't necessarily happen with like popular songs, but definitely with older songs, depending on what culture you're in or, or even songs within our culture, we have different names for different different lyrics for the same tune. Um, so, I, uh, you know, my, my son's two years old now, so we're doing a lot of the children's songs and 
you know, the same tune for Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars, the ABCs, it's the exact same tune. And, and I know that's a really simplified version, but, you know, as they move around, they recognize the tunes of these songs, but they have different lyrics. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things I thought of, it's not necessarily the same, but they're talking about the different names of the same song, and they laugh about how they call it different things. But being that their cultures have been so far separated, uh, there's probably very different meanings to them also. Like nowadays, well, I don't know if kids these days still do it, but if they sing Ring Around the Bows or Ring Around the Rosie, Pocket Full of Posies, Ashes, Ashes, We All Fall Down, they just think it's fun. It's ha-ha, we dance around, then fall to the ground. But the true meaning of the song, you know, talks about, I mean, what was that, from the plague or whatever? Yeah, it's a warning from the bubonic plague. So, like, we have the different names, but uh, I wonder if they get into this more. There's probably even different interpretations of what these songs actually mean, depending on how they were taught. Well, I mean, if you look at the one that they specifically talk about, it said, um, when he asked, not thinking for, the tinker has my pot. (laughs) They all fell over themselves laughing. They knew it, but as tossed the feathers. Right, sure. Like, there's a clear, you know, idea or a clear statement right there that literally the um, folks that he's from, where he's from, the folklore is more about the tinkers almost, I don't know, I don't want to imply they're thieves, but there's been implied before. Um, and again, we know that Tinker's also six pots, so maybe it's about that. Um, but then they call it toss the feathers, which is completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Right. There you have it. Yeah. And, and then one night around the campfire, of course, they start, the girls start, start doing this dance. Um, and the way they describe it, it's, it's pretty much just a, a belly dance. Um, that's uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a girl in a red dress swayed into the light, loosened her shawl. Strings of beads hung in her hair, and she had kicked off her shoes. The flute began the melody, wailing softly, and the girl danced. Outstretched arms spread her shawl behind her. Her hips uh, undulated as her bare feet shuffled to the beat of the drums. The girl's dark eyes fastened on Perrin, and her smile was as slow as her dance. She turned in small circles, smiling over her shoulder at him. Oh my goodness! Beautiful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the girl that is in my mind, <laughs> and and the description—he did a great yeah. job. Yeah, what what's great is I'm trying to read this from parents' perspective, and so far from what we've read, he's just barely becoming a man, uh, and he's convinced that everybody, especially Rand, is really good with girls, and he sucks with girls. So, like, I'm sitting here blushing with him. Like, it's <laughs> clearly very awkward for him, especially with the eye contact being made and the little winkies here and there, like, wink, wink. Sure. Yeah. He's losing it. I don't know if I call it blushing, but blood's blushing. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> to, bo- to both heads. Yeah. But the girls think it's funny that, you know, that parents blushing and it's embarrassed. So they, they start doing it every night, which apparently is not a normal thing at all. But they just think it's hilarious. <laughs> um, and more girls. Yeah, and to make, make these worse, Egwene starts to learn the dance, too. And he's like... <laughs> which... Which is really just just getting you know uh, parent all upset because uh, not only is that but then also Aram's still really into Gwen and and they're dancing every night and and parents just overall just upset about all of this whole thing so parents just sitting there like you know uh, brooding I guess is the best way to put it but you know he, he's just uh, not a happy camper through these chapters. 
So he's missing out. I love Elias's reaction. Well, go ahead. <laughs> Elias is like, I have you to think. It is different <laughs> with young fellows, but at my age, it takes more than a warm than a fire to warm my bones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> so I'm a little upset that Perrin doesn't take advantage here of the situation. Um, Alan, I think you, you might be able to co-sign on this because uh, you traveled a lot at a point in your life where you're single, and I traveled a lot at a point in my life where I was single. And it's much harder, I think, to be bold in high school or even in college and make an attempt to talk to a woman or compliment her or try to make a move or a pass at her when you know if she rejects you, you have to see her again the next day because she's in your Econ 101 class. But when you're traveling and you're having a time like this, and in the back of mind, you're like, oh, in a couple of days, I'm probably never going to see these guys again if the women are attractive and you're having a good time. That's when, <laughs> I mean, roll the dice. Worst thing, they say no. And then you go, okay, well, I'm leaving. <laughs> like, but but you should have tried. But also, as a guy, you usually don't learn that till you're a lot older, too. Uh, unfortunately. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're, you, when you're I, in high I school. I roll the like, dice in Germany quite often. Yeah, so, well. Yeah. Well, snake eyes a lot of times, but when in, when in Rome, right? Uh, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> Let me tell you about Rome. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, uh. Not, not really. But uh, so, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I guess parents trying to, um, I guess, where, where, where were we? Parents trying to hide everything, you know, lies is smiling at them. Um, and then we get into some, some about dreams as well. So, um, you know, he says, at least the dreams are normal, no Bosomon in it, but they're still nightmares. Um, and it talks about how parents still feels the wolves and the, and they can feel that the wolves want to move on as well. So I want to talk about that before we get into the Bosomon dream. Yeah. I want to pull a Chris and go backwards for one second. Okay. I'm glad you did it. Okay. First. <laughs> so there was, we skipped over a little back and forth between parent and Egwene. Okay, And I don't have anything super deep here, except that one of the other lines in this chapter I underlined was when they were talking and he does his blood and ashes. Do you believe we're safe here? Da, 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 da. And she, what did she say? Whatever is going to happen will happen said- whether we leave today or next week. That's what I believe now. And that is a very watered down version of what uh, Moraine would say. Like it's part of the pattern or what's, what's the saying that everybody says? I see the abbreviation on discord, like the, the uh, wheel the weaves wheel, as the wheel the weaves wheel. sort of things. Yep. So the it's wheel. like this thought process is building in her. It's a very uh, abbreviated paraphrase version of that. And it's, I don't know if she's just using that as an excuse, like, ah, oh, whatever is going to happen, it's going to happen. But if we believe she might be heading down this path, being an Aes Sedai and, has the ability to use the one power. This is kind of building in her. Well, I also think we're seeing some really great character development that we almost skipped over because um, we perceived her as kind of a ignorant young girl. But every time she speaks, you know, in a one-on-one conversation, there is some real depth to the statements that she's making. Yeah. And if this statement had come from, which it did a few pages back, Elias, then it's like, okay, this is one of the favorite 
sentences of the chapter, this is something we need to pay attention to. But here she said it and still kind of skimmed over. So I I was actually going to go back to that. So I'm glad you did it because I feel like her wisdom is being overlooked a little bit. So I'm going to give her a little shout out there. I'm going to give her, you know, kudos. And um, I, I love what parents' thoughts are in regards to the tinkering people. He said, Elias is right. They don't have to convert you to the way of the leaf. It just seeps into you. So he is completely against change, but he can't help but perceive the changes happening around him. Even Elias has gotten comfortable. And now, mind you, Elias is never comfortable. He's a paranoid wolf-like creature. But then you do have uh, Gwaine, who is definitely taken to the way of the leaf quite quickly without even anybody pushing her towards it. It just happened. And even Perrin finds himself giving in to things that he doesn't find that he cares for. Like he, you know, watched the girls get as they danced because he didn't want to offend them. And, you know, though he kept his axe with him, he didn't make it blatant, uh, blatant statements anymore. It didn't say in the, this part of the chapter, what it said in the beginning chapter about him showing his axe. And you could see where he's kind of conceding a little bit to this idea of just going with the flow. Right. Yeah. Even though they said it, he said sometimes he wanted to shout at them. There were trollocs in the world and fades. There were those who would cut down every leaf. The dark one was out there, and the way of the leaf would burn in Bialzaman's eyes. Stubbornly, he continued to wear the axe. He kept, uh, he took to keep his cloak thrown back, even when it was windy, so the half-moon blade was never hidden. Now and again, Elias looked quizzically at the weapon hanging heavily at his side and grinned at him. Those yellow eyes seemed to read his mind. That almost made him cover the axe, almost. So, you know, to take the statement back, he, he did show the axe. He still was uncomfortable, but he was still kind of going with part of the flow. So you can see that he's being tormented. And then that kind of leads to the dreams. That was the one thing that he said that was kind of comforting um, was the fact that there was no Bialzaman, just ordinary nightmares. So he's not having dreams. He's having nightmares. He's reliving all of these occurrences that he's gone through over the last, what, few weeks, mm-hmm. months. Um, he said uh, each and every day he, he would have these dreams, but then it also brought on a different awareness for him. So the dreams continued to help him sharpen his awareness of the wolves too. So I don't know if that's because of them protecting him in the dreams or if it's because... Um, he's going through a metamorphosis of his own. Yeah. So yes, some, I feel something's happening where that tie between him and the wolves is growing stronger for sure. So, yeah. So, you know, one thing that, that parents realize is the wolves are always in his dreams. Like we were talking about, and then Balsamon shows up one night. Um, so one night he's dreaming and Balsamon shows up and he's, I think is, was he in the forge? Um, yeah. yeah, he was in this. Uh, he was talking about Mrs. Luhan never um, allowed forge work within the home, but there was work going on in the home because they were sharpening an axe with a stone. Um, and then if he set the scene about the wolf being there, and he said abruptly the wolf rose, rumbling deep in its throat, 
the thick ruff of the fur on its neck rising, the Alzaman stepped into the kitchen mm-hmm. from the yard, and his statement was, flames dance where its eyes should be. Is this what you have to protect you? Well, I've faced this before yeah. many times. So we have this idea that the wolves are an inherent or a continual um, adversary of Bialzaman. Okay. So that's kind of where we begin. So now I'm like, all right, so we have our, our, you know, kind of our villain, and then we've got one of the forces against him. So, and I don't know, my question is, is it the wolves themselves or it is the power that comes with the wolf? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was wondering that too. And so I think it gives some credit. We were talking before in a previous episode, um, that the wolves perhaps gave him protection against Bialzaman and him being able to enter his dreams or reach him or whatever. And so then the question, and even Bialzaman now mentions it, that, oh, is this what you have to protect you? So, you know, he kind of confirms that the wolves are something that could potentially aid in that. But Bialzaman was still able to reach him, uh, and at least in the dream, able to... Um, make a crispy chicken out of that one wolf. So like what has changed <laughs> that uh, has allowed him to reach him? Is it because the pack is separated and now there's only a couple of wolves with them? Maybe the protection isn't strong enough. Uh, or is it because they're entering a part? And this, this part, I only started thinking after they wake up and decide to go separate ways. And I already talked about my, my theory of the protection you might get by being with the leafy people. But, um, you know, maybe it's because they're getting ready to enter a part of the world that just evil has a stronger grip or stronger presence on. Uh, and because of that, Bielzaman is, is able to finally reach him. Uh, so I'm, I, I guess I don't really have an answer to your question, Chris, but I definitely had the same thoughts and the same questions popping up. Like what has changed at this point where now he could be reached in the dreams? Well, then I also had the question, did that wolf die in the real world then? Was, you know, because we we have these interactions where what happens in that world happens in the real world. Did we see like our first death of the book? Because I don't still think Tom is gone. Mm -hmm. So have we seen our first major death of the book? Because I know we've had plenty of death happening throughout it, but this is one that happened through the dream. So is this the first dream death, maybe? Yeah, I had the same question. I mean, obviously, we didn't we didn't get an answer, but I had the same question, for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> then, um, you know, Balzaman does speak to them. I guess one of my favorite lines from it is, you know, you cannot run, you cannot hide from me. Um, you are mine. Um, you're one of mine. And then it says, the eye of the world will concern, consume you. So, you know, we've, we've heard the eye of the world. Go ahead. And I like... Before you, he said, if you are the one, yes, you are if you mine. are, the, yes, I did it right there. If you are the one, you are mine. And then, uh, the eye of the world will consume you. So, we've heard the eye of the world a bunch of times. I mentioned the eye of the world will not serve you. I, you know, a bunch of different things about the eye of the world. Um, I, I think the last chapter that talked about, or last time we talked about something with the eye of the world as well, what the eye yield said about it. But yeah, this time the eye of the world will consume you. So we're, we're learning a little bit more and more about this eye of the world. I know you guys have no idea what it is, but. Uh... I'm grasping, but. 
We are completely yeah, out of loss. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got nothing, but I'm intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So, and then Raven show up and go to peck out Perrin's eyes, and he wakes up. <laughs> Which is, yeah, he said, I'll, "I will mark you as mine." And then he swung out his clenched hand as if throwing something. When his fingers opened, a raven streaked at Perrin's face. And it pierced his left eye. I don't know if there's any significance to the eye, the actual eye that was like pierced. I just, I had that highlighted because I'm like, why was it that specific? Um, and I was like, it would have been cool if like he woke up and the left eye was like blinded or damaged or different, yeah. but we didn't see that. So whatever right <laughs> yeah so he wakes up and his eyes hurts i think it hurts a little bit or he noticed you know but it's still there it's everything's fine it's just and elijah's right there when he wakes up uh and and saying it's time to go so um <laughs> uh you know says we don't have time for formalities uh you know wakes rain up uh you know uh, and rains wakes up comes out and starts looking towards the sky and says uh you know something's changing the wind's changing or something like that or you know, uh, you know, it feels like, you know, that they have to change directions uh, after looking at the sky and, and knows that they will not be following them in this new direction they're going. So I don't know if, if you guys had thoughts about that whole scene. Um, I know that was a little bit, I, I thought it was strange my first time reading it, but. Yeah, it's like I mentioned before. Yeah, well, so the part where it says rain seemed to listen as well and smell the air, but there was no sound except the wind in the trees and no smell, but the faint smoky remnant of last night's campfire. And then when he comes to Elias, they come to the, the decision. He tells him we have to leave as if everything was fine until he woke up this morning and just kind of felt, listened, smelled and used his senses and just kind of, that's what decided the path they would be taking. And so this morning he wakes up and realizes, Nope, we have to change direction because I feel or sense some, something wrong in the way we were going. So back to, back to my theory mm-hmm. earlier that they just have this innate ability to uh, sense and avoid evil. And that's how they've been able to live just this happy go lucky lifestyle is they've been able to dodge it. Well, yeah, and it's interesting. It says, uh, I think the wagons will go East, perhaps all the way to the spine of the world. Perhaps we will find a seating and stay there a while. And then we have an italicized word, seating. So that's the title of a place. Um, so that is an actual specific thing. And it says, trouble never enters the seating. And that was Elias agreeing. He said, but the ogres are none too open to uh, strangers. Of course, the ogres need traveling people too, because they have things that need mending. But I want to go back to the word seating. Now, We've read further, so we have an understanding of the seating from future chapters. But the fact that this was highlighted, italicized, I had it marked in my book. Like, what is it that makes the seating, I have it written in, what is it that makes the seating special? Why is this a place that is suck out? And why are Are there more than one? (laughs) Setting, sorry, maybe I'm using the wrong word. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm it's okay. I was like, steady, steady. Okay. Steady. Yes. <laughs> no, steady. I okay. need to learn how to read you guys. Three degrees. It's in, all right. I, still can't read. I, I am now interested in like, are these pockets of the world that magic does not yeah. work? 
was what I had written in here. And we learn later on down the road that's kind of what it implies, but why? What is it about these areas that makes them special? So now I'm, again, more questions, okay. no answers. Well, we well, that line where Elias <laughs> says, oh, man, was that a nudge and a wink? Say sure. <laughs> sure. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, so Elias, on the, to that same token, Elias said, trouble never enters the steading. 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 Uh, and this, <laughs> Sorry, I've done good. it to and, us now. Steading. So that's like the kind of their nonchalant conversation about why they're changing direction. So it, it makes you think that this gentleman, when he wakes up and sniffs the wind or does his dance or whatever he does, he senses trouble. And it's to the point of not just changing direction, but changing direction and trying to go somewhere where they believe trouble never goes. So maybe they're even sensing that trouble is closing in on them like all around. It's like everywhere. So they need they need to go back to a really solid refuge. So that's telling, I think. Mm. I, saying, I love the goodbyes. Mm. I think that's the, the best part of it. It's like, all right. I don't know that I have um, ever let a visitor leave camp without a farewell feast. Should I love to have a feast whenever I left somebody's house? <laughs> I don't know. I. Uh, but he said, "Go ahead." I was gonna say ahead. I felt bad with the goodbyes because I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I, I mentioned earlier about when you're in a situation where you're not going to be around these folks much longer. You don't live there. Da 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 da. Take your chance, right? Um, but the flip side of that is when you don't, mm-hmm. I have one very specific example that I'm not going to share with you all cause it's personal, uh, of, <laughs> uh, and I still think about it. It was many, you know, it's it really was personal. many, many years ago, but like me and this girl just hit it off so well. And I didn't ever even start the conversation or even attempt to do anything other than just be friends in that short amount of time we had. But in the goodbye, even though it wasn't spoken, in the hug goodbye, we both knew we missed a gigantic opportunity. And so when he was hugging these ladies and they were all over him and yada, 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 man, I, he totally, that was a swing and a miss for Perrin. He could have leveled up and got some experience points there. It's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> or he could have found the love of his yeah. life. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so um you know obviously rain's not happy about them leaving without having proper proper festivities and uh aram is is trying to aram sorry aram's trying to convince Egwene to stay and they start arguing um that's before they get to the goodbyes but yeah uh, i don't know if he has I, I know ian has a thing for for um aram but yeah <laughs> I wish they would have argued harder. I wish she would have slapped him. I don't like the guy. Yeah. I, I hope I hope we're done with him at this point. Never see him again. Oh, I was going to say, just because I don't like him, that means well, he's going to really be quickly, here again and again and cause problems, and I'll continue to not like him. That's my luck. I don't think that's true. I, I think, like, they were all glad he wasn't going. He definitely wasn't going to go. He's a little <laughs> bitch, for lack of better words. Like, he was the big man on campus, but he's not going to leave with them. I love, I'm going to go back just a slight bit um, where your boy parent actually made me feel proud because he realized his mistake, but it was too late. He said, they're hu- he said the girls who had danced every night would not be content with shaking hands. 
and their hugs made parents suddenly wish he was not leaving after yeah. all. <laughs> Until he remembered how many others were watching. <laughs> so yeah, he realized, okay, I really lost a huge, gigantic yep. opportunity. But yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was cool. Uh, again, we're, we're seeing a little bit more of Egwene and how she used the moment. She lived in the moment. So she like yellowed for real um, while she was there with the traveling people. But it says she she's relieved too. Perrin thought relieved. He doesn't want to go with us with Egwene. That, or sorry, that was talking about the grandmother. But Egwene kind of seemed to push him aside as well. She kept shaking her head slowly at first and more firmly and then began to gesture pleading. Like you could tell she was arguing um, and continue to shake her head that she didn't want to stay or right. she couldn't stay. And then she's just like, you know, it is what it is. I've got to go and you're not going to go. So I, I can see that replay. And then you can see the worry that the grandmother had. So I really wonder what conversations she was really having with the Blaine behind scenes that we didn't get yeah. any of what she was teaching her and then what she was warning her about um, because they seemed to have bonded, but here she had a lot of relief. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and then rain, rain is obviously worried about something too. That's something I had a question mark for you guys. Um, the leader of the tinkers, um, there's obviously something he's worried about. And I know we kind of hinted around some things, but just wanted to see, I don't know if you guys have thoughts about that at all. I know we're, we're leaving at this point, but, well, I think we just kind of touched yeah. on it already. Like they know that there's some darkness that's coming their way or, you know, I, and I don't know how broad of a sense they have. It could be specifically towards them or like a darkness about to engulf the world in general. Maybe the dark one is growing that much in strength mm-hmm. that he's about to make a move. I think it may be a little early. It's just book one of 15. <laughs> um but you just, you never know, or maybe our dragon that was captured will turn out to be a little bit more than what meets the eyes. Um, because we really don't know any connections yeah. well, right you know, now. You know, you know, they defeat the Dark One at the end of this book, and then the rest of the 14 books is unicorns. And, and you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> and and just, learn you know, yeah. song, and they just sing it for a few books just in sing a row. sing it for 14 books in a row. Just, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Which Elias surprises us all. He says, peace be on you always and on all the people. I will find the song or another will find the song, but the song will be sung this year and a year to come. It was, it once was, and so shall it be again, world without end. That, that was what really got me. As it once was, so shall it be again. World mm-hmm. without end. Pre-taint. I reread and reread that. I guess he doesn't like the taint. He's trying to get, to get away from it. <laughs> yeah, the taint. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it, you know, what is so, does the song hold some real power? Does it hold meaning? Like maybe there's a connection between the horn and the song. Mm-hmm. Because here mm-hmm. to like hmm. mythical things that have been discussed in the book now the song not so much as the horn but you know if you got a horn why not put some lyrics to it and maybe this is more like a universal Hmm. spell or something that only a specific person a group of people could use that would like 
purify the world or bring a different uh, the old power back to the world or you know because now in my mind it's like maybe humans kind of corrupted this power that once was yeah and now we have to kind of clear clear uh, clarify it clear it up clean it up make it better so like this that hit me when i read that line and then the reply world without end world and time without end so like that is implicit that you know we have this idea that right now time is infinite but then again maybe it's not infinite in this this realm like maybe it repeats itself maybe there's they're on a loop or something like, like a wheel i don't know i'm just <laughs> any question Yes, yeah, like but the, the way wheel. they the way they say it, it exactly. I don't know if it's because they're responding to Elias and they just seem surprised. But the way that they say it, the the hesitation in it, or just you know quickly repeating after others, it's like, do they really? Are they saying it because they believe it fully and faithfully, or are they saying it with a little fear that maybe they worry that I don't know, maybe there is an end to it, maybe things are so bad now that. There's an end to time. There's an end to this world. So they leave. They leave at this point. Uh, the wolves rejoined them. They saw the dream too. Perrin's able to block out the wolves. He's like, woohoo, block out wolves. And Perrin gets really upset with Egwene, and we get to the end of the chapter. So <laughs> anything for that final scene <laughs> before we close out this one? A lot. Just to go back a little mm-hmm. bit, um, Elias, so I don't believe in the full oh. song. No need to make them feel bad by messing up their ceremony, was there? I told you they said a story about ceremony sometimes. Or a store, excuse me. I I want to know what Elias's real connection with this group of people is. I, I, I know that we alluded to it last chapter, but he has to yeah. have been a tinker at one point hmm. in his life. Or he fell in with the tinkers to get away from something else and then fell out with them too. You know, I just, and we may never know. Or by book six, we'll have our understanding. And in book 14, he'll be dead. (laughs) So it won't matter. (laughs) Maybe maybe he uh, ran into them, married one of them, and that's where the fallout was because for that much bad blood, this is where I'm going to get hate mail. There had to be a female involved. Mm-hmm. Mwah, mwah, mwah. <laughs> all right so um we're gonna move on to the next chapter unless you guys have anything else to add no sir all right moving on to chapter 28 footprints in air so the symbol is a staff um we've seen this a bunch of times and pretty much have come to uh conclude this represents either naive or our our moraine i think it's what you guys i think you said moraine staff right yeah, that's what I'm rolling with still. Right. Oh, okay. So Nynaeve sees Whitebridge. They're kind of coming up there. She's amazed and trying to hide it. So she's the bridge off in the distance. Um, and Nynaeve and Moraine have been arguing, like nonstop, about finding the boys. Um, you know, Nynaeve wants to know what the plan is, and Moraine's not really sharing much because Nynaeve's a little girl to her, and she doesn't really care. Um, yeah, so let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like I like how the statement was another legend, and they don't even seem to notice. 
which kind of goes to how her lack of the world is. That was a weird way of saying it. How little Nani knows the world. Um, I just think it's really cool how she's just like, they'll laugh at me if they see me gaping like a country bumpkin, which is a term I've used a lot in my life. Because <laughs> I got cousins that are country bumpkins um, from West Virginia and from Michigan. So that just kind of, you know, tickled a funny bone for me. Um, but I really do, again, enjoy the the pictures that are painted here in regards to the bridge itself and then regards to the lack of caring of uh, moraine and land, which kind of shows how traveled they are. So I want to know how long they've been looking for people that are associated with the dark one, how long they've been searching them out. Um, and it kind of builds to what is really their intention. So, yeah. Any thoughts from you, Ian? Um, I have a four word description for this entire chapter and it's up to you if you want it now, or if you just want me to hit you with it at the end, because I feel like we're going to get there quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise me. <laughs> we can wait till the end. We'll wait till the end. All right. So till the end it is. Till the end. Let's do one one letter every five minutes. <laughs> All right. Call it out. <laughs> All right. So um land's getting under naive skin. Um that's what the next note. Um and uh Land said she should go back to two rivers. Um, but Moraine, uh, uh, Ma- Moraine uh, butts in saying that she's part of the pattern um, uh, uh, and that the Dark One is stirring. Um, yeah, so Moraine's tracking with no signs and they get to the bridge and you get a better description of the bridge uh, here. So, you know, we got to just. Well, then we'll go backwards okay. a little bit. I'll be the okay. one. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, we'll be. So the, the first statement I looked at is, I will know when I am close to the two who have lost their coins. It was not the first time Nynaeve asked her, um, but the Aes Sedai's voice was like a still pond that refused to ripple no matter how many stones Nynaeve threw. And then the statement, part of the training you will receive in Tarvalon, wisdom, will teach you to control your temper. You can do nothing with the one power when emotion rules your mind. So it's pretty much set in stone in Moraine's mind that Aniva is going to become an Aes Sedai. Or if nothing else, she is going to learn how to control her power. So going back to our icon, that icon may just be indicative of Aes Sedai in general at the beginning of the hmm. chapter. So, because I had those statements kind of highlighted because she's making a definitive statement like this is going to be a part of your training. This is what your purpose is going to be. And then we kind of see, again, looking at character development and looking at the individuals in the chapter, we see our wisdom as being not so wise. And we kind of see this childish side of her. So, again, it brings the question like, age and maturity and what experience really gives you because she said she felt like it was a duel. She had not managed to score once and Moraine did nothing, <clears throat> excuse me, did not even seem to realize that she was in a fight. 
Nynaeve could have done without the cold blue eyes, of course, talking about Lan, and that's why Lan was kind of getting under her skin, because he was just kind of watching this back and forth battle that only one person really cared to realize that they were in. And then we come up to um, the conversation <laughs> oh. that Lan was having with Gotcha. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, back back to what what we were saying. You know, they had this conversation. It's going on. They're arguing nonstop all the way through. Um, like you said, you had the conversation with Lan and Nadeev, um, and, and Moraine butts in. You know, and obviously she's tracking the boys with no, no with with just like normal because she doesn't have the coins anymore. So she's just trying, she's using something else. And that's one question I had is how do you think she's tracking them at this point? Um, and we'll get more into that once they cross the bridge, but we get to this bridge, we get to actually go across it. So I just wanted to kind of go in the description there of the bridge and what you guys thoughts were about this magnificent giant structure. That's white bridge. All right. I guess I'll go more than four words. <laughs> <laughs> But really, I only have four words that count for this chapter. We'll, we'll save it for the end. Um, so just some more emphasis <laughs> on how awesome the bridge is and um, just shows us the difference in, you know, Nynaeve's current understanding of the world. And she's just so, oh, my gosh, this bridge. And they're just acting like it's no big deal. And it's from the Age of Legends. And then, of course, Lan and Moraine are just acting like it's no big deal because Ben there done that. So there we go. Okay. Yeah, this is- he said that it was a gleaming white, <clears throat> excuse me, up the gleaming white approach and onto the bridge, hooves ring, not like steel on glass, but like steel on steel. Because originally when she saw it, the pale arch shone in the sunlight, a milky spider web too delicate to stand, sweeping across the RNL. RNL, yeah. The weight, of man, the weight of a man would bring it crashing down, much less of a horse. Surely it would collapse under its own weight any minute. So it looks fragile. And so it kind of alludes to the fact that it has to be some continual source of power that's really keeping this thing steady. So I'm wondering um, how it's being fed, if that makes sense. So I go back to the whole idea of, you know, you have to, once the spell is done, it has to draw on something in order to continue or is this a different type of power hmm. um i hate it when you do that <laughs> make a little noise <laughs> that noise is like yeah i know more than what you think i do but you you don't get to know for another four books <laughs> perhaps so i'll go ahead and perhaps. i'll go ahead and say now uh not commenting on the chapter per se but chris I'm certainly glad you're on this ride with me because you have the ability to still pull things out of portions of the book that I won't say I found this chapter boring, but it was like just a quick, almost like the author just kind of needed to move these characters forward, but didn't really have too much significant stuff to say. So it's like <laughs> a quick montage of, and these three folks just went, doo -doo 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 -doo, now they're here. And that's the chapter, but like, but you're still pulling stuff out of it. And I appreciate that now, like listening to you. Okay. I should have probably read more into it because you never know 
with this author. All of this might be this might be the most important chapter of the entire series. It, it actually I just, is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just did not. Yeah. I didn't get any of that. <laughs> like, well, then you get like that around the uh, char thick in the air. So as soon as they were coming over the lace-like bridge, which is another point they made, char thick in the air in a moment she saw around the square at the foot of the white bridge, piles of blackened timber still leaking smoky threads, replaced half a dozen buildings. Men in poor-fitting red uniforms and tarnished armor patrolled the street, but they marched quickly as if afraid of finding anything. And they looked over their shoulders as they went, townspeople, the few who were out there, almost ran, shoulders hunched, as though something were chasing them. So, I mean, I assume that the fade set fire to buildings out of anger and frustration. Um, or it could have been that Trollocs came through hmm. searching the same way that Moraine is searching. Um because we know that in the past they've burned buildings based on specific things. They were, they were, they sensed something about buildings back in the, um, the two rivers. Did I say it correctly this Mm -hmm. time? Yes. (laughs) Back in the two rivers, they only burnt specific buildings. Those are buildings that had to do with the boys. Yeah. So maybe these buildings were, you know, we know that they only really went into one, but they also hid behind buildings and they were near buildings. So that kind of goes to the, the, the statement that Moraine makes, the will weaves as the will wills. No eye can see the pattern until it is woven. So you ask the question, how is she tracking the boys? Maybe she has the ability to see back in time. Or she can feel trace amounts of their energy or power. Because at this point, we're assuming that the connection that they have is that they each have some type of power. Like we've learned now that Perrin is connected to wolves through some ancient power. Right. Um, we haven't quite learned Matt's power. We haven't quite learned Rand's power. But we what we see with Rand um, is this in this nature when he's in battle where he's kind of taken over by like a battle lust almost. So maybe his powers tied to like battle magic, which leads me to think that he may be the same sure. as Lan. Um, in some sense. I feel like we know Matt's but power. Then, Matt's the wild card. <laughs> that, that's a look that's, that's power. the wild card is a power <laughs> and since i relate to him i feel like he's also a ladies man so we'll who knows okay yeah, yeah. Okay. Wild card. <laughs> all right yeah and, and moraine's going around the, the the village of white bridge and talking to people but she's not asking them questions she's just kind of drawing questions or just start talking to people and make and they just start telling her stuff without, you know, so, uh, you know, it's kind of strange there as well. Lots of different accounts, lots of different stories. Um, and she's trying to piece together all these different accounts and stories. And everybody has different tales of what happened. And some people said they saw Gleeman. Others said they saw this, and that. Um, and, and they make their way actually to the end. Um, well, then like this kind of brought me these statements. 
The truth of the matter was there was a man somewhere in the town meddling with the one power. It was time to have the Aes Sedai in. Pastime was the way they saw it. So maybe this was the result of Tom and his battle with the Fade. And maybe he did tap into the one power to defeat the Fade and it kind of drove him a little crazy. Sure. So then he started like going off on shit because he couldn't control the power. So he's still alive. Yeah. He's out there. <laughs> and now he's kind of, you know, a little magic crazy at the moment and needs to okay. recharge and, and gather himself. Okay. So Tom's still, Tom's still a wizard. That's oh, yeah. He's okay. still a wizard. Gotcha. Yeah, for okay. sure. Cool. He's a, he's a magical, <laughs> magical man. He's, he's, he's going to come back as. Tom the White. <laughs> <laughs> he was Tom the Gray. Now he's Tom the White. Just Got like it. Gandalf, he took on he <laughs> took on this high level boss all by himself and made everybody else run away so he could get all the experience points by himself. What a jerk! Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> Tom the White's a new uh, the new, the new hashtag. So we have so we have time time traveling Tam and Tom the White. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Create our own cast of characters. Um, so, um, you know, they get into the inn and they're they're the same inn they've been in before. Uh, Moraine can sense something there, and the, the militia burst in, and Lan kind of mutters, "You know, the militia's useless." And he storms over to them and starts asking questions, and, and Lan just totally shrugs him off, like, what, "Just get get out of here!" Like, kind of, <laughs> like, what are you going to do? To us? Um, <laughs> and and and. Moraine and, and uh, Nynaeve are having this conversation about, you know, hoping that they're going to go to Camelin. Um, they're not sure what direction the boys might have went, but hoping they have enough sense to go there. But at this point, they need to go after Perrin. Um, Lan also knows that there's a fade that was there, um, you know. But at this point, they, you know, Moraine, you know, like I said, it's time to go after Perrin. She can, fa- she can still track him. Let's head that way. The, you know, at this point. Hopefully the boys made it this far. Hopefully they're on the way to Camelin, and uh, you know we can't waste time there. We have to go at the boy where I know where it is. So I just thought it was interesting, you know, Moraine shifting gears like this, and Nynaeve's kind of left in the dark, and she's upset. She wants, she's, you know, well, what about Egwene? You know, she even asked about that. You even care about her, and Moraine says she does, but not as much as the boys. So I mean, feel like she says it that way. She's just like, but it will be as the will leaves. That is her reasoning for life. Like we can't control it. It's all about what is in store for us. Like what's our fortune, right? So yeah, yeah. and so okay. What's your four yeah, letter word? We in the, the chapter heading towards parents. So now, Ian, yeah. what's your what's your what's your got? <laughs> it's it's a four word statement. Um, I would say drum roll, but it is going to be as anticlimactic as this entire chapter was. Uh, (laughs) And it is, hopefully your Star Wars fans out there, Nynaeve is Anakin Skywalker. In this chapter, 100%. Uh, And I'm not talking episode one. I'm talking about episode two and three. Like, the super annoying, knows that she has potential, like sees that the power is real, knows she can learn it, but instead just keeps thinking of her own stupid reasons for learning it. Like right off the bat, uh, she talks about going to Tarvalon. She says, Tarvalon, she would go there if need be 
and take their training, but not for the reasons that I said I thought if Moraine had brought harm to Egwene and the boys. Like, seriously, you, you were told that you have this potential, that you have this power that could be possibly the strongest or equivalent to Egwene, who is going to be the strongest Aes Sedai, potentially. And all you could think about is just protecting these two or three people, your buddies. Like, there's a bigger picture here. Like, pull your head out of your rear end. And at least if you're going to go along, go along open-minded. Learn what you can. And not just be so narrowly focused on your own agenda. Like, I don't know. I just, I read this whole chapter and I was like, whiny, 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 whiny. I was... Very eager to get past it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so not, not a fan of Nynaeve at this point. <laughs> well, I, look, I stay open-minded. She can save herself later on. But in this chapter, the author did her eh, no good service. I, 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 keep, I kept trying to <laughs> find some sort of redemption. Let me flip the – hold on. There's only three pages to flip. Let me look. <laughs> No, nothing. He just whines. That's it. Insult. And then gets like embarrassed when she's arguing with herself in her own head about what other people might think about her. I mean, I just not impressed. Not at all. Okay. Fair enough. All right. I, she's become the new I think I, I, yeah. I, 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 If the people that are listening right now that are that are not on Discord, if you're listening to this later, we do have live we're doing this live on Discord. I didn't mention that at the beginning. And they're going crazy about your theory, disagreeing completely. So, Ian, you'll have a lot of people to talk to later tonight. <laughs> well, honey, honey badger, don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, with that being said, are you guys ready to move on to the next chapter? I'll just jump right into that. Please. Oh, All right. yeah. So, chapter 29, Eyes Without Pity. Um, so, we got the chapter Icons of Wolf. I don't think this is any surprise at all about this, what that means at this point. Um, but, you know, um, they have to do with the wolves and, and the wolf brothers or, you know, anything like that. So, yeah. I think it's a little sexist that they call them the wolf brothers when the leader is a female. Oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're just trying to get brownie points because of that crap you said last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, your sister or female cousin finally got a hold of you and told you, you better fix that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> but i also agree i agree yes so, so we start with elias <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's shit all right so we start with start, start with elias leading the way um he's being really careful but he set at a pretty hard pace but still being really really careful um and we find out later what's scary in elias elias but when you first read this and i know you guys have read the whole chapter did you have any thoughts about like why is elias so scared or did you what did you have thoughts about it or yeah so i i mean i talked I about sorry i talked about this two chapters ago um and right off the bat like the second or the third line i underlined despite his desire for haste though he took precautions he had not taken before so i kept comparing where he was just so nonchalant go with the flow even telling Perrin, hey when the going is good you got to enjoy it when you can yada 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 but now all of a sudden boom um he's being super precautious he's he's looking around every corner he's checking under every leaf and it's not like 
the tinkers were providing protection, like physical protection, because they don't fight. But now that they're not traveling with them, all of a sudden, there's this higher risk of danger that he's perceiving. So it, it goes to that theory that somehow the tinkers have this way of knowing uh, how to avoid evil or follow a path that you know keeps them away from danger. And Elias took advantage of that and relaxing. But now that they're gone and they're on their own, uh, he's on high alert for everything. Yeah. And, and did, you're going to add something, Chris? No, he, he did okay. a pretty good job. I'm just going to leave you alone. Oh, wow. So, did I yeah. leave you speechless? Hey. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah, and, and Elias starts getting irritated. Parent asking him, like, why are we doing this? Why are we avoiding hills and going the long way around? Um, should we just move it on? Um, and, and they reach this one hill, and, and Parent and Elias both crawl together at the top of the hill. And they look down, and it's just a couple of trees down there, and it looks like nothing. And and you know, kind of, you have this whole scene where uh, parents kind of like, okay, what's what's the deal? And a fox comes out, and uh, you know, a whole bunch of ravens come out, and yeah, uh, kill the fox. <laughs> Before we go that far, I want to go back really quickly. Again, the italicized words always catch my attention, and um, this is parents thought which is really cool because we see um some reliance here he said the wolves will warn if there's dangers it would be wonderful if they went away if they would just vanish but right now right now they'll give warning what is he looking for what so here we've got parent needing the wolves which is pretty interesting because he's really tried his hardest to stay away from the power and really tried his hardest to disconnect from that identity. But now he's like, all right, there's some usefulness to this. So I'm going to use it while I can or while I need to. And then we get to the Ravens, which kind of prove how much he really does need Elias or they need Elias and the wolves because it's a flock of Ravens burst out of the trees below 50, a hundred blackbirds spiraling into the air he froze in a crouch as they milled over the trees the dark one's eyes did they see me sweat trickled down his face like there is some real danger occurring here that he just wasn't aware of and if he had been more in tune with the wolves maybe they would have already told him what was going on my other thought is maybe he would be able to kind of read elias's mind or be able to connect with him on that level so I'm, I'm interested in maybe that's where the whole Wolf Brothers come from, is maybe there will be a connection between Elias and Perrin in the future where they can communicate through this power. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then we see the poor fox getting eaten yeah. alive. Um, yeah. hey, pretty- so I, under- I underlined uh, the one line. It, it didn't seem like much, but... Uh, he said, wolves don't look up in trees much, Elias growled. And I, I know that seems silly to point out, but like maybe uh, there's something about that that's a chink in their armor. Like obviously they're pretty vigilant and the way they travel, like even when they have the full pack together, everybody's spread out and they can kind of communicate somewhat telepathically or hive mind-like. Um, but it wasn't written like Elias just said it nonchalantly as like a joke or sarcastically or to try and cover up what happened that they didn't see it coming. 
but it said that Elias growled. It's almost like he was upset, like, God, God, we should have seen that coming, but dang it, the wolves don't look up in trees much. So it's we had this impression that the pack traveling together, they could see danger coming like miles away, but this one caught them off guard. Well, and I think it also points to the fact he said, and no, I wasn't looking for this. I told you I didn't know what. And essentially, he didn't know what they were looking for. He just had that intuition, that feeling. So we know now that that may not necessarily just come from the wolves. So I need to know what this power is now. Sure. Well, you know, if you ever watch Shaun the Dead, dogs can't look up. So I don't know if you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Shaun of the Dead, uh, dogs can't look up. That's why he puts the rifle up there. Um moving on by the way if you guys haven't seen Shaun of the Dead check it out it's a fantastic movie about a a pandemic of all things Um, yeah of sorts (laughs) of sorts Um, great great movie Um, and that's not Dawn of the Dead that's Shaun of the Dead so yeah so but Dawn of the Dead good too Uh, but (laughs) different different completely different movie Um, so Perrin realizes after the whole Fox scene how dangerous it really is Um, and then you know you know, spots more, you know, if they're spotted by ravens, um, they see one kind of straggle behind, kind of see them, uh, and a parent immediately starts fumbling for a sling, and Egwene takes him out, takes out the raven, which I thought was just a funny scene because yeah, I just picture this, you know, looking up and, and Egwene's already, already taken out the raven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and then flash it flashes to Perrin kind of go along. He's now kind of seeing what the what the wolves are seeing and sees a large group of ravens coming from behind because the wolves now have moved back to kind of cover their back trail. And the wolves see that they're being chased by ravens as well. So um, Well, that was a prior fear. It was asked of uh Elias. Perrin said, um, do you think there are more ravens behind this? So he already had that mm-hmm. intuition. So I'm wondering whether or not the wolves sensed that and decided because he said it, they would double back. Right. Um, that was just kind of a thought that I had, and I had highlighted that. It's like we can't afford to get too close to the ravens ahead of us, and we definitely can't afford to have any behind us. So right. <laughs> they're kind of caught literally between a rock and a hard place. Um and then, of course, it's like, do you think they saw us? And he's like, nope, if they had seen us, we'd be right. dead by now. And they're, move- yeah. Yeah, they're moving over each hill, like waiting for the ravens to go over the next hill. Then they go, and they're just trying to stay right behind that, that pack of ravens as the ravens are searching and staying out of sight. Um, but if you notice, the ravens groups, groups are kind of getting larger. They see more and more raven groups in distance. Um, and it does mention that the ravens are killing lots of things. Like, there's lots of foxes. Uh, they see more than one fox. It's like yeah, they don't they don't see it die, but they see carcasses. Um, so um and they realize, you know, as as it mentions, I think the dark ones, you know, minions kill for fun. So the ravens are just killing things so they see them. Um so these are definitely evil ravens. <laughs> um, he said he remembered something Lan had said. So Lan definitely taught him something. All the Dark Ones creatures delighted in killing. The Dark One's power is death which is the interesting concept. The Dark One's power is death. Does it mean that his power derives from death or that his power is in the fear that he causes from killing? So, sure. yeah, I kind of read into that. I'm like, ah, I wonder. Um, and then, of course, when you, you get, s- 
you get that mm-hmm. imagery that kind of grows and and uh you know when they do the show it you'll probably be able to see it better visually but the the flock of ravens growing the more they kill the more they move um so i mean yeah there's there's power in the fear that is spread among the people as he kills more people but there's also like the physical in in this instance with the the flock of ravens growing and they continue to kill these foxes they continue to move on and grow in numbers so kind of get kind of get hit with both thoughts at the same time yeah one thing we just skip skip over is elias does mention that there's a place they're moving towards that's a safe place that the ravens won't go to and that's that's what they're moving towards at this point um um Elias thinks they're close enough they can be there by, I think it was sundown. But they're trying mm-hmm. to, yeah, they're trying to figure out whether they can make it there or not because the Ravens are closing in fast from behind. And, and Perrin reaches out, he talks to the wolves, and the wolves actually are starting to be attacked by the Ravens. And he can taste the, the blood of the Ravens and the pecks and feels the wolves as they're being attacked by the Ravens. And even says that, you know, a, a wolf's not as easy to take down as a fox. So, you know, the, the, the wolves are putting up their a fair fight. Um, but they continue at a hard pace. Um, the Ravens are closing in behind. Um, and, and Perrin knows how, you know, gets a, ask the wolves. Cause wolves have, he says the wolves have no sense of time. So you can't like ask, is it like four o'clock in the afternoon? <laughs> so wolves, you know, so he gets, a, <laughs> he gets an image from the wolves about how far the sun is down, you know, is when they'll be overtaken. And he realizes that it would be within an hour or so it'll be, you know, and, and Perrin comes to the conclusion that they're going to die. Um, that, that the Ravens are going to catch up. There's no way they can fight off a flock of that many Ravens. Actually Ravens aren't flocks. That's good. Other point too. Um, do, do you guys know what a group they, of Ravens are called? They call it murder. That's crows. Ravens. Oh, what's Ravens? Ravens are either a conspiracy, a Congress or a parliament. Oh no, Congress the Ravens. I have heard yeah. that. Congress, right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, our parliament. We're not going to go down the political <laughs> rabbit hole, but Congress of Ravens, a bunch of yeah. evil, eye pecking, fox killing. Yeah, it makes sense. It's lining up. Our conspiracy <laughs> of Ravens. So yeah, so a conspiracy of Ravens is closing in on them. Um, our Congress of Ravens. Um, and, uh, and parents come to the conclusion that they, they won't make it. So he starts thinking about killing Egwene, which is kind of – I don't know what you guys think about this because you know, his thought process is that's a miserable death of being eaten alive by, by, um, by ravens. And um, yeah, so he thinks you know, a quick, quick blow to the head from an axe – you know, would be a more merciful death. And if it comes to that, that's probably what he'll have to do. And he's trying to talk himself into if the Ravens catch us going ahead and killing her. Um, yeah. So that is, we could spend a lot of time discussing a mercy kill and man, uh, just my views on this in general have changed about 50 million different times as life has gone on and I've experienced different things. Um, I mean, I've obviously heard of, heard of it happening, 
And it, it's one thing when it's like in the heat of battle and it's like so obvious the guy's going to die anyways. You don't want him to suffer. You pop him. Um, I mean, at least in the movies. I'm not suggesting that's anything I experienced. Uh, but then even in real life, I mean, you could go down the Jack Kevorkian rabbit hole. Uh, at this point, there's a lot of older adults listening to this. And probably like me, you've had someone that passed away from cancer where the end of the life was just so miserable. And I mean, I had experienced uh, with that with a grandmother when she was very young. And before that, if you'd asked me, I'd have been like, no way. That's murder. That's horrible. You're going to go to hell for that. Uh, and then watching that experience she went through, uh, I won't say I totally changed my mind, but I definitely understood why people would have that moral dilemma or at least consider it or have that conversation because some things some things are so miserable that it it's worth having that having that conversation or at least i understand that uh internal moral conflict in considering that yeah but like i said that's man yeah. you save that for discord because that can go on and on <laughs> and on and, yeah. and on any thoughts, Chris? <laughs> you know what? Today is Ian's day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm defer. Um, like I was See, the only chapter I want to take credit for is the last chapter, and then you're giving me credit for all these random ass thoughts I'm coming up with. I well, you know, I, I defer to you, Chris. I wanted to go backwards to talking about how he finally admits to the fact that he's connected to the wolves, and he was pushed to that. Like, even in this moment of, like, chaos, like, Elias waits for this, like, hey, do you, so, do you sense that? Do you feel that? Do you know what's happening? Do you know where we're at in life? Do you know what's going on? Like, he still makes him or forces him to connect to the wolves and to admit his connection. Um, and that just goes to show Elias's playfulness as well, because I think he already knows that they're getting close enough to where they're going to make it. But he doesn't want for, I mean, Perrin doesn't know that. So now he's like using this to his advantage. So that's mm -hmm. a little bit of a manipulation on his side. And then, you know, the mercy kill is something that, you know, again, is a very hard topic to discuss. And, you know, it's one of those questions and he even brought it up to himself. He's like, would he really be able to do it in an hour of desperation? Like, would he be able to actually be strong and, and do what needs to be done, you know, that's that's a huge moral, spiritual dilemma that would hurt for any person to take on. So I'm glad that we get the next part, which is like abruptly a chill ran through him, one cold, clean, tingling as if he had jumped into the wine spring water in midwinter. It rippled through him and seemed to carry away some of his fatigue a little of the ache in his legs and the burning of his lungs, it left behind something. He could not say what, only he felt different. He stumbled to halt and looked around, afraid. Elias watched him, watched them all, with a gleam behind his eyes. He knew what it was. Perrin was sure of it, but he only watched them. What and a jerk, Elias. Yeah, it was. He, mm -hmm. he was, a, it was a dick move. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> and Gwen says she feels like she lost something, and they kind of explain what's happened. So the one power doesn't work uh, where they are; they're in a steady. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I guess you get some hints of what a steadiness here, you know, because Elias says, uh, you know, uh, uh, going to ask what is a, set, a steading, and, and he says, well, no Ogiers um, have been here since the breaking of the world. So he's connected with Ogiers, uh, which we had mentioned long time ago, many, many, many uh, chapters ago. Yeah. Um, if you're reading this book at a normal person's pace, not at our pace, uh, it would have been like yesterday you heard about Ogiers, but for us, it's been like months. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, for so like the last bathroom break. Yeah, so, so uh, a, a little refresher. Uh, they did talk about Ogiers, I guess, in the very first chapters that they might get to meet what we talked about, uh, that they might be ogres or something like that. So they're really, really big, big people. Because um, they said, I guess, if I stood on my own two shoulders, I think was one of the lines, I wouldn't be as tall as Ogiers. So... But anyway, so yeah, um, but studies are connected to them somehow, and you get a description of the study here. Uh, it's kind of like a plane with um, a couple shoots, you know, like uh, sprouts here and there. Yeah, I, I had a moment where I had a, uh, a, like, are you kidding me? Where Perrin says, it's just a legend, Perrin stammered. Talks about in the stories, the setting, Roe's Havens, places to hide, yada, yada, yada. And I have to remind myself, again, with the pace that we're reading it, it seems like months have gone by since I started this book. Um, but but our characters are still dealing with the world they grew up in and the world they once knew and what they're seeing before them. But even when I read this, like I, I kind of feel like it's about time for them to stop being surprised that the legends are part of the legends <laughs> are true. Like, yeah. hasn't parents seen enough? Like, at what point is he finally going to go, all right, something new pops up and he goes, okay, didn't see that coming, but <laughs> that kind of reminds me of that song we used to sing when we were kids. Guess there was something to it. Like, yeah. I don't know when we're still <laughs> saying, just legends, ignore it, close your eyes, it'll go away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still, it, it, and, and granted, it's been a long time for us because we're reading such a slow pace for them. It really hasn't been that long. Um, yeah. Like if we go and back so and, I, I at, say at that, days, it's not, I that say long. that if we're in book 10 and Perrin says just a legend, well then fuck Perrin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> at some point I won't, I won't put a definitive timeline, but at some point I'm going to expect them to stop dropping that line. Okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So yeah, um, so the settings, you know, this nice little field that has some boulders in it. It's pretty big, apparently, because they can get away from the border and the ravens won't see them anymore. Um, and Elias mentions to do that. And they find a pool of water and immediately jump in and start frolicking through the pool because um, they're, um, they, I guess they haven't drank in a while, which probably they haven't, probably really thirsty and, and having a good time. Uh, they, you know, they make they make some food and they eat um, and and parents at this point still beating himself up uh, for, for thinking about killing Egwene. You know, he's, um, and, and I get the sense that Elias can kind of hear his thoughts too. Like we talked about that, that mind meld between wolves, whether Elias mm -hmm. has it too, because Elias is definitely interacting or, or giving facial expressions to parents' thoughts. But yeah, so, and then there's a giant rock that they're next to and, uh, you know, Egwene's kind of looking at it and says, I think that's an eye. And they kind of, uh, Elias burst in saying, it is an eye. It's this fallen down statue of Arthur Hawkwing. So we get a, a new person that I don't think we've heard of yet. 
have we talked about Otter Hot Wing? Uh, I don't recognize, or I okay. didn't recognize the name. So for his name brought up, but it was as a legend um, to be discussed by the Gleeman way back when we first started the book. Okay. Gotcha. So he, he, so he had mentioned Otter Hot Wing when he was talking about the many stories he would tell. You know. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So now we hear a little bit more about this story about the High King of Arthur Hotwing. Um, who, which is funny because the first time I read this book, I I just saw Arthur and I thought author, so I kept on calling mm. author forever and ever. It's there's no H there, so it's just, it's Arthur. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is where Arthur was going to build his capital. Um. And this was a statue that was built first to commemorate him. He was a great king that united all the nations. Um, you From know, Canada to the Sea the, of Storms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from Canada to the Sea of Storms, the blight to the Sea of Storms. Yeah. From the, from the ale waste all the way to the, to the, uh, uh, the great ocean. To beyond. Yeah. yeah. So um, they built this giant uh, statue, but then he ended up dying. Um, you know, uh, whether it's poisoned or no one really knows, it reminds me a lot of uh of the story of Alexander the Great. Um, how Alexander the Great had right. united so many nations, and then he died of poison, or no one really knows, but suspected he died of poison. Um, um so, but um, the, but they built the statue, but then after he died, pretty much no one could, could control his empire, so it fell apart, and people blamed him for a lot of stuff, and. The statue eventually was torn down. The city was never built. And what we got left hmm. is a big face laying over in the ground. <laughs> but yeah, thoughts about this whole story about Archer? Well, it just shows like he was a great man, but he he put the world before his own or his control of the world because it was it said that his sons and his and his blood fought for his throne who or who would sit on his throne and the statue stood alone in the midst of the hills the sons and the nephews and the cousins died and the very last of the hawking's blood vanished from the earth except maybe for some of those who went um you know overseas so he didn't do much to build up his legacy like it was almost as if he thought he was immortal and he was going to continue to live forever forever and then he died. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a sad story because, you know, he it, he didn't put any energy into ensuring that his lineage would actually hold to his greatness. Um, and so there's like this big sense of loss and the statue is left alone to kind of fall apart and crumble on its own. And people never really thought of him afterwards, even though, he brought peace to the people and he made sure people had everything and they had full bellies and you know, he was stern, but still just in what he did for the people. And he was just kind of left to crumble. So it just goes to show you how fleeting power and control and money and everything really is. Sure. And so the one line, Arthur Hawking brought peace and justice, but he did it with fire and sword. I mean, even in our own history, we can look at different examples where there were long periods of peace in even ancient cultures. Uh, but that peace was bought with 
sword and spear and uh, lots of killing and battles and domination and where you might have peace and harmony for a small group of people that you represent with that sword and spear. Um, you, you force that many more into hiding as to who they are and, and because they're at risk of just, you know, I belong to this group. And so that could get me killed. And so it's not our true peace, not for everybody, not for the whole world. Um, I don't know, but that's, I don't know. There's sure. a lot of hints towards human nature in general. And we're just, we're flawed. There's never going to be a perfect peace and trying to force it. You're <laughs> in the big picture. You're going to do more harm than good, or at least this guy did. And not mm -hmm. by not looking at the big picture, even Elias states that this guy's a fool. You know, at the very end, he could have had his life saved by the very people he persecuted. But he was so focused on bringing peace to his people in that group that he persecuted the very people, attacked the very people that could have saved him in the end. Sure. Yeah. So, the, you know, this chapter ends with parents staring at the eye, wishing he was sleeping somewhere else. You know, just kind of being very, very down himself still kind of internal dialogue moping so any final thoughts before we wrap up about any of the chapters? i want to know <laughs> well, I, I just I, i'm thinking like how much more is this story this eye going to play into the eye of the world like is mm -hmm. there a greater tie to this king and and the power and too many questions, not enough answers. I think that's the common theme of our our podcast so far. <laughs> We're just a little over halfway through the book, so I'm excited for what's coming because I'm hoping to see the group get together again pretty quickly here and you know make it to Tarvalon and maybe get some answers, which won't happen, but I can be hopeful. Sure. <laughs> get, yeah, get the, I, I would just like to add... Yeah. I was going to say, get the band back together again. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, hey, on, so on that note, part of me is worried, like, are, we have so many books. Like, is the band going to be separated for, like, six freaking books? Or are they actually going to get their stuff together now? Like, shit, I don't, who knows? I don't know. But anyways, I was going to say, final thought. Uh, for all you people out there that might have blown up Alan... Uh, about my comments on Nynaeve in the last chapter. I still have love for her. Still lots of potential. She just wasn't at her best when the camera was on her during that chapter. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. So yeah, so go ahead and wrap up right now. So um, next week we'll be covering two, chap two chapters. So the next two chapters are chapters 29, uh, no, 30 and 31, which is Children of Shadow, Sounds ominous. And play for your supper. Um, so those are the next two chapters that we'll be covering. Um, how to find us. We can found on social media at The Wheel Reads, uh, on, on Twitter, on, on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, also, The Wheel Reads at gmail.com is our email address. We can also uh, have a, a wonderful Discord channel, which we have several people listening to us live right now. Um, we'd love to have more people listen to us. Uh, we, we normally are going to do live broadcasts for our discord only, um, because of this whole COVID-19 coronavirus, the Rona, the vid, whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> um, 
we've we've started doing live broadcasts for everyone for right now. Um, we we might eventually, once the world returns to normalcy, if that ever happens, uh, go to just Patreon only. Uh, for right now, we have been doing it for everybody, which I think everybody does enjoy it. And I can talk with my co-host. We'll figure that out. And and I think at the end of the day, that really is up to our Patreons, uh, whether they want it to be exclusive just for them. If they're like, you know what, we'd rather have the bigger community, that's fine. Uh, but if you, they're donating uh, monetary funds to us, then we're going to listen to them as well because uh, that originally was set up for them. But with that being said, we do have a Patreon as well. So if you feel so inclined to to help support us monetarily – um, that that money will be used for giveaways um, and also for better equipment. Um, uh, that's one thing that we're struggling with, but we're working through. We're a very low budget uh, podcast, but you know we make the best of what we got. I think, uh, and and we and we do what we can. But um, Patreon's a way to support us as well. As I mentioned before, we have started running ads as well. But um, uh, you know. More, more of that to come. All that's going back to the podcast or back to you guys. So we, we're not taking any money from that into our own pockets. Um, the moment we do, I'll let you guys know because um, if we do get large enough, we will take money for ourselves. And I'll be happy to admit that. Um, but right now, we're not. So, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's where we are with that. Um, also, uh, like I said, join our Discord. Um, it, it, whatever service you listen to us, please share. Um, like subscribe to us. Uh, let new, if you find new readers, whatever social media you hear about people reading it, or you share with a friend that's starting to read it, we're a great companion to, uh, podcast as well. We'd love to have new readers come on board with us, um, or just new listeners in general. So keep sharing us around. So with that being said, I think that's all I got for this week. Anything you guys want to add? Until next time. No sir. Peace. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See y'all next time.